chapter 7. I wanted to, I debated this week on leaving verses 10 through 17 for Sunday morning, but I just felt like I wanted to keep the continuity there. It's really an interesting passage section of this book for 109 verses and seven chapters. We've heard one voice. It's the voice of Amos, but it is the voice of God through Amos. Uh, so we get this brief two-verse uh, other voice uh, speaking. So it's, it's a really kind of a change in the way the book is unfolding. You get more of a narrative uh, and an experience that Amos has with Amaziah, who was the priest of Bethel. So we're picking up in verse uh, 10 and read through 17. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to, to Amos, go you seer, flee away to the land of Judah and there eat bread and there do your prophesying but no longer prophesy at Bethel for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet nor am I a son of the prophet for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs but the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So that's the brief narrative of another voice, a voice of protest, if you will. Uh, I really believe uh, the entirety of the preaching of Amos, um, we're not given the narrative in regards to how long he was preaching or the response of the people generally to the preaching, but we just know that he was preaching a bold, uh, strong, a confrontational message. And so I think verses eight and nine really summarize uh, what's provoked uh, this, this confrontation or this singular voice uh, of protest in all of this book. And read that again in verse 8. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And he said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. And what I ended on in that chapter there is verse 9. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, desolated and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. That's targeted at the religion, the false religion of Israel. And then to the government, then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. And so it really, it may, it may have been that particular prophecy that provoked this, or it may have been the entirety of the preaching of Amos and the effects of that preaching uh, in the land, because he says later on that he could not endure the land. Uh, so his was a solitary voice here, if you will, of defiance, uh, even though only two sentences and then it, it goes silent and it's not to be heard again throughout the book. And I just thought it was indicative uh, of the silencing of every, every complaint, every protest, every tongue when the judgment of God comes to bear. There is a day when there'll be no, there'll be no protest. Uh, God is merciful. 
In fact, some of the prophets, God speaks to the prophets and says, come, let us reason together. There is, a, there is an invitation to engage with God here. Well, there's no invitation here. Now, this is clearly justice has come. And so that's what's really provoked this answer. And that's what I want to look at tonight for a little bit. In verses 8 and 9, you see, really see the occasion of that. I've already just touched on that, the preaching of Amos generally. Uh, and I think that's significant because Amos is bringing the truth or light to bear in a dark place. And it was a dark place. He's bringing the truth to bear where people were living according to lies. They were living a lie. And so that, I think, agitated. That's the occasion for Amaziah speaking of. Uh, we don't know what kind of disruption, whether it was disruption of protest. Maybe they didn't. Maybe the population didn't like Amos's message. Maybe there was disputing among the people in regards to Amos. This is a prophet of God. What is this this man is saying? Uh, there was a stirring. It, it reminded me a lot of when Jesus came into Jerusalem and began to preach and all the rumors and the resistance and all that was rising up. So, so it, there was some sort of disputing in the land. He says here that the land can't endure this. And so there must have been some sort of agitation <coughs> happening in Israel at the preaching of Amos. So that's the, the occasion. And so it will be in our generation as well uh, when we bring the truth to bear in this generation. Uh, the, the land will not endure it. Uh, there will be agitation, there will be disputation, there will be arguing, and there will ultimately be, uh, be the efforts to silence us, which we're already seeing all these things. So it's, we're not unfamiliar with what might have been going on in Amos' life here. But that's the occasion for this one voice. Uh, it's interesting to me that through the Holy Spirit, Amos is inspired to, to, to record this dialogue with one voice. I, I, it's hard for me to believe that Amos was preaching and never engaged in anybody else with any conversations or anybody ever confronted him. But in the providence of God and in the, in the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he brings this one to bear. So there's significance in regards to who it is that's confronting Amos here. So that's the occasion you see the, the voice itself in verse 10, then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, uh, speaks to him. So Amaziah, he's a priest of Bethel. Later on, those uh, true believers uh, were really calling Bethel Beth-Avon, which, which meant the house of vanity. Bethel was supposed to be the house of God, but they started calling it the, the house of vanity because of the false and idolatrous worship happening there. Well, that's the, that's the Bethel here. I don't know if I explained this, but uh, early on when the kingdom divide, kingdoms divided, uh, Jeroboam I uh, had golden calves made and had one placed in Dan and one placed in Bethel. And the, the idea was to keep the people from their natural inclination to go to Jerusalem to worship. So he, wanted to, he was afraid that if he went back to Jerusalem, they would, uh, their affections would move back towards Rehoboam to the south and, and he would lose his, his ten tribe kingdom up there. Uh, some people believe that it was a golden calf along the lines of, of that which was in Exodus, which they built when Moses, you remember, was on the mountain. Some people believe it, it, was, a, it was a sort of a variation of that because Baal worship was often uh, indicated by a bull as well or a cow. And so, so, so it's not clear which one they were doing here. If it is, in fact, if they were worshiping around the calf similar to what they did in the Exodus, it just seems so such an affront 
I mean, you've already been rebuked for that once, and were it not for the grace of God through Moses, you would have been utterly destroyed even in that moment. How dare you, these many generations label, uh, later, reestablish this calf that you almost got destroyed for in the wilderness. So I'm not sure it would be that. So maybe it was some variation of that or some new manifestation of the same sort of idolatry, which at heart is trusting something other than God. So this is Amaziah. He is a, not only uh, from Bethel, but he is the priest of Bethel. Some translations, some commentators believe he was the chief priest or the high priest of Bethel. He was the superintending religious authority in Israel over, the, over their idolatrous worship. That's who's speaking here. And so I think that's significant that the Holy Spirit inspired Amos to record this, this interaction here with this high priest of Baal or Bethel. And so that's who's speaking here. I think as well that he was the, really the one who held the greatest and most influential religious influence in that, in that, in that area, in that nation, Israel. I think everything filtered down through that false worship, that false leadership. So he was, the, he was the chief priest of this false cultic religion that the entire nation had adopted. It's interesting later on, I'll touch on this, but we really never hear from Jeroboam, who was the king of the nation. And it really struck me that this, this central, this identifying this religious leader rather than a confrontation with Jeroboam, which is recorded. He may have had some influence here, but he, he, he points out or he brings out this dialogue with the one who's at the very heart of the, of the darkness in there, which was an abandonment of God and an embracing of a false cultic religion. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that part of the reason for that is underneath every governmental uh, departure from morality, there is a, a deviation from moral reality according to God. There is a deviation from godless or godness, godliness to godlessness. And then the government and the culture follows that. So Amaziah is essentially the representative of the cultic religions uh, there in Israel. So this is who the voice is. I asked myself uh, several questions here. Why this voice then? Why, why would it be him? And that these are a couple of things I thought about, but he was really in some ways because of what I just shared, the most condemned by the word of the true God. When Amos came to town and he began to preach about the, the, the wickedness and the depravity and the oppression and the injustices and all the cultic uh, influences there, he was bringing truth to bear in the very backyard of this chief priest of this cultic religion that was endorsing all that. All the perversions at the altar and the prostitution and the, and the exploitation of the common people and the needy and the poor and the humble to satisfy these lusts. This is the chief priest involved in all of that. He is the most condemned in some ways by the very words that Amos was preaching. He also, in some ways, I'm sure, had the most to lose. And I don't mean just the, his luxurious position and his wealth and his prosperity, but he had the most to lose in the sense of his influence or his ability to exercise a power to exploit. In fact, they're... they're their perversions and their corruptions rested on, on the fear of the people of them, those in power. 
And especially in a, in a generation where superstitions was so, superstitiousness was so prevalent, they could exercise any cult of cultic influence and bind the people to that and therefore exploit from them all sorts of resources lest they offend the gods. And so they were, they were hacks or shysters really. They were exploiting the people and destroying them and corrupting them and exercising an influence, a religious influential power over people to provide for their own high station in life. That's who this voice is. He had it in some ways and that way at least the most to lose. And I'm sure along with that he was the most threatened by the word of, of or Amos as well. In fact, the whole of the culture really had been shaped by this false religion. And now you've got a prophet from Judah coming and confronting this false religion and speaking truth in the ears of those who had been exposed to this false religion. He, had the, he felt threatened, I think, by the possibility that someone may begin to hear and another person and then more people. And the next thing you know, we've got a revolt on our hands. And people are turning back to the true God and I lose my high station in life. You remember what the Jews said to, in regards to Jesus. It's expedient that one man should die for the nation. They were afraid that the Romans would come at, the, at, the, at all, the, all the disturbances and take away their station, their place in life. Similar motivation here. This high priest had a lot to lose. He was threatened by the truth that Amos was preaching. So that's the voice, but notice his complaint as well in verses 10 and 11. He says here, as I've already pointed out, he sends word to Jeroboam, the king, and he says, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel, and the land is unable to endure all the words. And he further says, Amos says this, Amos says this, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So his complaint uh, really is somewhat unclear to me because that seems to be the word he sent to Jeroboam. Was that his real fear or was he, was trying, was he trying to exploit Jeroboam? Was he giving half-truths? Was he, was he twisting the words of Amos trying to provoke the king to, to exercise an authority and perhaps even take Amos' life? So I'm not sure it's real clear what Amaziah's motive was, but it certainly is clear that he sent word to Jeroboam and he, and he sent the word I just read to Jeroboam. So he's wanting a response from Jeroboam, not from Amos. So he's appealing to the king here. And basically it boils down to this, O king, there's a conspiracy against you that Amos is stirring up a conspiracy against you and the land cannot endure what he's doing. As I said, I don't know what he means there. Were they protesting? Were they, were they rising up? Were people beginning to talk about the message of Amos? Were there, was there some insurrection underway? That's the impression he gives to this political leader, this king, this Jeroboam. Now that's not exactly a clear uh, refute or a clear representation of the preaching of Amos all along. Amos was not conspiring against Jeroboam. Amos was confronting the darkness in Israel by the word of the Lord. If anybody was conspiring against Jeroboam, it was the Lord himself. And so, so that's a misrepresentation. The land cannot endure him. I don't know what that meant, but if the people were beginning to talk about that and there were, began to be louder conversations in regards to the message they were hearing from Amos, they he might have been alarmed that the people might listen to him. So he says the land can't endure it. He's causing agitation. He's, he's stirring up insurrection against you, king. 
And boy, doesn't that sound familiar in our generation? The accusations leveled there. Somebody speaking truth and speaking light or, or bringing a moral foundation and a strong moral position in our government today is accused in many ways of being involved in insurrection and stirring the people up and agitators. Well, that's the, that's the precursor you understand to persecution, right? If you can ever be identified as disruptive of the common good, then all of a sudden you're marginalized and you get, keep getting pushed out and silenced. And finally, the, resolu the best resolution, the final resolution is to put you uh, to silence forever. In other words, put you to death. And so, so we don't know what Amaziah's complaint is, but we understand what he told Jeroboam the problem was. And it's really interesting here because I think this is part of his disappointment. Verse 12, you see that as well. But he's finally talking to Amos himself. Well, what's missing there is a response from Jeroboam. It's not recorded that Jeroboam sent word back to Amaziah and told him to say this to Amos. It's not said at all. In fact, we're left to assume that Amaziah may not have gotten the response he wanted, judging by the way he misrepresented the preaching of Amos as though he was trying to provoke against Amos, Jeroboam and the wrath of Jeroboam. And that really struck me because as much religious authority and influence as Amaziah had, he did not have executive or, or legislative or authoritative power like the king had. He's a, he's a religious leader with great influences and corruption and all that. And he's, he's trying to manipulate now the executive branch, as it were, to bring him to, against this Amos. Sound familiar? Sounds really familiar to me. So, he's, so here you got a, a false religion, a, an immoral religion, trying to manipulate the, the civil government to act against the prophet of God. That's not, that's not coincidental. And it seems to me like it's being repeated down through the generations and various <clears throat> generations as well. So you see his disappointment here, apparent disappointment. Jeroboam didn't respond in the way that Amaziah had hoped he would. In fact, I believe had he responded at all, Amaziah would have been bound to repeat the words of Jeroboam to Amos. Thus saith Jeroboam, leave the land. He doesn't say that at all. In fact, he doesn't, he doesn't couch his comments as though they came from Jeroboam. He speaks to him personally. So that speaks to me of his own frustration and disappointment that Jeroboam didn't respond. I wondered about that. I mean, they weren't aliens to the religion of Israel, the true religion of, of Israel, the Yahweh and the God of Israel. That, that wasn't an alien concept to them. And I wonder what the effect of that, did it strike fear in Jeroboam? Had he been hearing the word of what was being preached and, and he dared not move his hand against the prophet of God? Was he not going to go that far? Whatever the reason was, Jeroboam doesn't seem to have responded to Amaziah or given Amaziah the instruction. So now Amaziah is acting on his own behalf in his own interest. And maybe he even thinks in the interest of the king. And as I've said, you see the voice, this voice is deception as well. I've already touched on that, but he really does misrepresent the word of Isaiah or Amos. 
In fact, he says that, um, he says that Jeroboam would die by the sword. Well, Amos explicitly does not say that. In, ta- in fact, in the verse 9, he says, I will raise up a sword against the house of Jeroboam. Raise up a sword against the house of Jeroboam. That's the lineage of, of Jeroboam, the family of Jeroboam, the, the authority structure of Jeroboam, not him, Jeroboam himself. And he doesn't even say that later on. Whenever he corrects him, he says he'll die in an unclean land, but he doesn't say by the sword. So this is a misrepresentation of the, if you think about it, the word of God. And that's not unfamiliar to us as well because we hear that a lot. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of the cultural issues and even the governmental issues we have in our nation today began with, with the departure from godly, godly, godliness and true religion, true faith, uh, true Christian faith. We began to compromise and we began to think of ourselves as a political action group of some sort. In fact, all the way back to Falwell when we called it the the Christian conservatives or the silent majority or the Christian majority. They started getting people involved in politics and all that where they blended the lines from there and we became more political action than we did witnesses to the glory of God. And and that just set in motion the, the deprivation of this nation from hearing the truth of God's word and preaching about the glory of God and that left them ripe to depart from God and to embrace something else. And that's exactly, I think, how they got to where they were. And I think that's how we got to where we are today in this nation. So there is that deception of those, this voice uh, that wants to speak out when the truth is being proclaimed. There's this misrepresentation. They misrepresent the word of God. And then finally, we see in verse, not finally, but in verse 12, 13, we see the actual confrontation as well. I was really fascinated by this, but it says, The name Isaiah said to Amos, Go, you seer. Uh, that struck me because it sounds different the next phrase, flee. So there's two different things. The first one seems to almost say, Get out of here. There's nothing keeping you here. We're not holding you here. Go. You're free to go. We don't want you here. Just go. But then the next one, so that's, that's kind of appealing to him that we're not holding you back. We're not keeping you here. We don't want you here. You're not welcome here, Amos. So just go and, and move, get out of our lives. That's what we're hearing. Stay in your churches. We don't mind you worshiping, but don't bring it out into the public sphere. Don't speak of the truth at the town square. Keep it, keep it in the cloisters. Keep it, keep it gathered among you, but just, just go. We don't, we don't want to hear you. You're not welcome here. Just go. And then the, the very next phrase he says is flee. Flee away to the land of Israel, Israel or Judah. So that implies a certain fear. In other words, he's not only saying, go, we don't want you here. Now he's able elevating that. It's dangerous here for you. That's an added motivation for you to go. That's exactly what we're hearing in the public today. It began with go. We don't want you around. Get out of the public sphere. Get out of the public school system. Get out of the judiciary. Get out of corporate business, America. Go, Christian, just go. We do not want you here. And when we don't go and we continue to preach the truth, then it escalates in the same way. Flee, Christian. It's not safe for you here. 
Your, your message is endangering you, Amos. You ought to go back down to Judah where you're welcome and where you're known and where you're familiar. But you're not in a welcome place here, Amos. And that's exactly how this is escalating in our generation as well. It escalates here. Notice he says here, go back to the land of Judah. Amos, do you really want to be up here among all these people whom you have so little to do with and so little in common with? Amos, why don't you go back and preach to a receptive audience? Isn't there a temptation to do that as Christians? Let's just gather, let's just preach to the saints. Let's just get folks who agree with us and preach and the people that say amen, let's let's gather them to ourselves. That's essentially what he's saying. Go, Amos, flee back to Judah. Go back down there to where your message will be probably more accommodated. But we don't want to hear that here in Israel. Go somewhere where someone wants to hear it. Don't preach where they don't want to hear it. That's where you need to preach. Exactly where you need to preach. That's where the light needs to be shown is where it's darkest. But he's essentially acknowledging the darkness of Israel by saying, take the truth and the light of the truth of God's word back somewhere where it might be more welcome. It's not welcome here. So go. It's dangerous. Take the word somewhere where somebody wants to hear it. And then he adds to that, and there eat your bread. So there, there, he's appealing now to, to, the, to the fleshliness, perhaps, of Amos, maybe trying to exploit that. You're up here and you're depriving yourself. Perhaps you're even fasting while you're preaching. So go, flee, go back down there where they want to hear it. And there you can reside and live your life and eat your bread and have provision and sustenance. And you can have an easier life and a more, a more satisfying and gratifying life, Amos. You're not going to ever be welcome here. There's not going to be bread for you. There's no no one who would even give you bread in Israel. So go back to Judah where you're comfortable, Amos. Why are you up here making yourself uncomfortable? Man, our own flesh talks to us like that, doesn't he? Go back, go back to where it's comfortable. Don't take a stand in the public place. Go ahead and sign that DEI statement on your employment application. Go ahead and accommodate the world. You, you got to have a job. You got to make sure you have that comfort level. Just, just guard your comfort, Amos. Make things easier on yourself. Go back to Judah. They don't have such strong and strict policies in Judah, Amos. Just go back to Judah. And then the last one, he says... And there, go down to Judah where you can eat your bread and there you can do your prophesying. The essential message is we don't want to hear it here. You can go down there and do all the prophesying you want. In fact, it's interesting, but he touches on Judah and the prophets themselves. Judah wasn't excluded. They were heading down the same path, maybe not far along as Israel was. So go back to Judah. Well, he probably would go back to Judah and prophesy, but God would send prophets to Judah as well. But this is the prophet God sent to Israel, and Israel says through this religious leader, go back down there and do your prophesying. That's exactly the same mentality we hear in our world today. You start speaking truth and bringing that truth to bear, especially if you go into the public square and you say to people, "If if you continue in the pattern of your life today, you will surely enter into an eternal hell. They'll tell you, go back to your church and prophesy. 
Because that is deeply offensive to us. We, we, we are justified in our own minds and our behavior. And we have embraced it full and wholeheartedly. And you dare come and tell us that there is a recompense for that that is that severe. Go somewhere else and do your prophesying. We don't want to hear it here. Amos was a, a brave man. A man with divine courage, I think. So do your prophesying somewhere else. Interesting enough, Amos, uh, he says in verse 13 as well, but no longer prophesy at Bethel for it. So in other words, there's no room for that prophecy here. This is the sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. How dare you confront with truth the error uh, that's evident in the royal palace. Don't you know you're talking to the king here? Don't you know you're confronting the, the chambers of power and authority? Uh, I think this lends itself towards the danger that you're in, Amos. Don't you understand? So go back to Judah and do that prophesying. Don't do it in Bethel anymore because we've already established and we have the authority and we've, we, we made this firm here. There's no reason or no use of your prophesying here in this place. I just point out, that's the last you hear from Amaziah in this letter or in this book that Amos writes. So that by the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, when Amos is recording the message in this book, he's prompted by the Holy Spirit to include this two-sentence dialogue with Amaziah for a specific reason. And I can't help but believe because religion goes to the very heart of the corruption that Israel had gone into. It's what we believe about reality and divine realities that dictates what a culture manifests itself. Whatever the government is, Brother Shane's been sharing a wonderful introduction Sunday night, getting us into that understanding. It is the absence of God that has manifested itself in all these symptomatic ways that we're looking at. We're all shaking our head about and wondering what in the world happened. The root of it is the disregard for God. And so in divine inspiration, the prophet here remembers this dialogue with Amaziah who is acting as though he's the religious authority and the most offended one of all being this singular voice in the midst of this prophecy of truth. It's as if, it's as if Amaziah speaking in some sense for the entirety of Israel. Their entire departure from God is rooted in the very thing that Amaziah was the chief of. And that was a false religion, a false understanding and worship of God Almighty. But that's the last we hear of Amaziah. Now notice, as it closes this evening, Amos' response then Amos replied to Amaziah, I love this, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I think he means that in the professional sense because they have become to understand the prophets coming from the school of Samuel. They almost like they went to a seminary and they were a school of prophets. And God would, they would go out and basically preach. And I think that's the imagery he has here. I'm not, a, I'm not one of those. I'm not your trained professional. I'm not, the, I'm not your philosophy student. I'm not your academic dean. I'm not a THD. I'm, I'm none of those things you think I am. I'm not a prophet, 
Not, not only am I not a prophet, I'm not a son of a prophet, which would mean I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't have the advantage of being taught by a prophet. And then to give the contrast, he says, in fact, I'm a herder of livestock and a picker of figs. I had a professor at Fruitland said he was a fig picking sheep herder. I'm not, a, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I'm a sheep herding pig, a fig picker. That's, and, you're, and you're bringing out the religious elite of Israel to rebuke me. Why are you, what are you looking at me for? It's almost as if he's saying, the one you got to deal with is the God whose word I am proclaiming to you. I'm nothing to you, Amaziah. You can provoke Jeroboam against me. You can come against me. You can amass the armies of Israel and murder me and stomp my body to dust in the middle of the street. You don't have to deal with me, Amaziah. The God who sent me is the one with whom you must deal. And that's exactly what he's saying as well. And that's what our nation needs to hear today. They can crush the Christians, they can imprison us, they can begin to put us to death to get us silent, but, but thus saith the Lord God, and this word of God will endure forever. The grass of the field withers away, but the word of God endures forever. Our government, our leaders, all the corruption, all the exploitation, they've got to deal with this God. And the best we can do is be faithful as Amos was to proclaim the truth of God in our generation. And I do mean everywhere. I mean everywhere. I mentioned in my prayer, I caught just a glimpse of that. I actually turned it off because they didn't bleep it. When Senator Kennedy was reading from those books that are available to first graders in a public school library, and he began to read. And so, so bad it was that the newscast that, I, that actually uh, told the story bleeped the whole thing. It was just one long beep. Now, you tell me something. If you're worried about violating FCC standards by having that repeated online, then how in the world is it right for a young child in a library to be able to read those very same words? Those people that are pushing this, they don't have to, they don't, you're not dealing with me. You're not dealing with those who are calling you out and demonstrating the, the perversion of it all. This is the God with whom you have to do. And the God before whom everyone will give an account. That's exactly what I think Amos means here. So he says to him, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I am a herdsman and a <clears throat> grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord, here's this calling, but the Lord <clears throat> took me, took me from following the flock. I, the word took me just intrigued me because it doesn't exactly sound like I was a willing uh, participant. There was a compulsion, a Holy Spirit assignment or election. I am called, I am appointed for this task. And I do it as Paul says, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. So there is that kind of calling. Amos says, I, the Lord took me from the herds or from among the flocks. Verse 15, but the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. And that's exactly what he was doing. And Amaziah is angry and the land is agitated. And I'm sure Jeroboam is either fearful or he's delegated the task to get rid of Amos to Amaziah. Whatever it is, the whole land of Israel now is quaking under this harsh condemnation spoken by Amos which was pending and hanging over their heads 
And as I've said, he's already told them, I'm dropping the plumb line down in the midst of my people. And I will spare them no more. Mercy is over with. Judgment is coming. They don't want to hear that. But Amos says, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was working on, working on my farm and the Lord called me out of that. And he said, you go to Israel and you tell them what I tell you to say. And that's all I've been doing. And I think he did it with a broken heart for his people. So notice how he concludes here. He sent me to the people to go prophesy to my people Israel. Now he's going to respond to Amaziah directly. Now hear, now, now hear the word of the Lord. Not, not Amos's word, not the sheep herder, not the fig picker. Now hear the word of the Lord. That's who you're against, Amaziah. Now hear this. Some of you watch the old movies. They still did this in the Navy when I was there, but when there was an important announcement, the captain would come over or the chief petty officer over the one MCs, what it's called on the ship, and they would say, now hear this, now hear this. There's an authoritative word coming down that is necessary for your functioning as a sailor in that, in that particular context. That's a, it's far greater the authority evident here, but that's the implication so in other words, Amos, you said your piece. I'm telling you, I'm not the one confronting you. I'm not operating out of my own wisdom. I have been sent here by the word of God for, with the word of God. And now hear this word, Amaziah. And then he says to him, now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, Amaziah, you are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. That's what you're saying. That's your word. Now hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Now, the, the, the religious, elite, luxurious living of the wife of Amaziah is going to unfold in such a way that she ends up selling her body for enough food to eat in the street. That's a, that's a big fall. So, so you say, Amaziah, I should not prophesy here, nor should I speak against the house of Isaac or Israel. That's what you say. Isaiah or Amaziah, this is what the Lord says. Your wife, the one who has enjoyed and one of the cows of Bashan that has been lying by the altar in luxurious living, that cow of Bashan, she's going to be a prostitute in the street. That's the word of the Lord. Your word the word of the Lord. Which one do you think is more reliable here? And that's the implication. Not only that, but your sons and your daughters, also those who are benefiting from the exploitation and the corruption in this nation and among the religious elite, they will fall by the sword. So they're going to die a violent death by invasion, by another nation, or by an enemy. They are going to, be, they're going to come against them. They're going to draw their swords, and in the attack, they, all your sons and daughters are going to die, Amaziah. Your wife's going to be a prostitute. Your children will be murdered and killed by the sword. This is the word of the Lord. It's what the Lord says against you, Amaziah. Not only that, but all your property, your land, he says, will be parceled up by a measuring line. They'll, 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 they'll auction off your property. 
amongst the, amongst the captors. They're going to come in and take over the land and, and they'll, they'll choose among themselves and according to their status and their wealth, the, the choices of your lands. Your land, Amaziah, is not going to be your land anymore. In fact, you're not going to be here to enjoy it even if it were your land, but your land is going to go into the possession of strangers. Your children murdered, your wife becomes a prostitute, which makes her, makes her basically uh, an instrument for the pleasure of the same enemies that killed your children, and then they're going to take your land, Amaziah. You're going to have nothing. You're going to have nothing. Not only that, Thus saith the Lord, you yourself will die upon unclean soil. You're leaving this place, Amaziah. You will not die in Israel and you will not die in Judah. You will be carried along. You will be carried abroad somewhere away from the promised land and there you will die. He doesn't tell him he's going to be dying by the sword, but he says he will die on unclean soil. This is the word of the Lord. And then finally, moreover, that's, that's the word of the Lord directly against you, Amaziah. But more than that, Israel will certainly go into captivity. They will, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. So Amaziah didn't hinder at all the prophecy of Amos. In fact, he drew a prophecy against himself in this protesting of the truth of God that he had been proclaiming. Up until this point, Amaziah was just one among the many who were deserving of God's judgment. But because he stepped forward and became the lone voice of protest in the dark world against the truth and the light of the word of God, the, direct, the prophecy was directed to him personally. Yes, I, yes, Amaziah, Israel is going to fall. Judgment has come upon Israel. They have gone far away from me. But because you voice protest in the midst of the light preached to you, here's a prophecy regarding you. Your wife will be a prostitute. Your sons and daughters will be killed by the sword. You will be, they will be, you will be carried away into a foreign land and there you will die on unclean soil. And yes, Israel will go into captivity. Amaziah, your protest does nothing to hinder the hand of God's judgment upon this nation once he has decreed that it should come. And man, I can't think of a, a more relevant message for this nation to hear in our day today and every nation around this world. God, God is long-suffering, and He has been greatly merciful. We were just talking in the prayer room back there. In the last month, last two months, wildfires, flooding, hurricanes, storm surges, earthquakes, flooding in Africa now, 5,000, 3,000, 1,200, all people dying in mass devastation. And we're just like Israel. Where, where is the nation that says there is a God in back of all of these things and earthquakes and hurricanes and fire? There is a God who is sovereign over these things. And if he, have, if he has released these things into our world, ought we not to take heed as to what he is communicating by these things? But we don't do that. We attribute it to some scientific phenomena, global warming or climate change. And we write off God. And there's a day we continue to do that. And there is going to be a day when mercy will have run out. He will have sent the locust and we will not have heard. He will have sent the fire and we will not have heard. And then finally the day will come where he will drop the plumb line down amongst the nations of the earth. And they will be judged according to his righteous standard. And once that mercy has been removed, there is no protest. 
There is no protest. It will not change at that point the outcome. You will not run the prophet away. You will not distinguish or extinguish the truth of the word of God. It will be here forever. And the wickedest man in the world will someday stand before God and give an account for every single word of God revealed to man. And that's, that's, that's why I think Shane quoted someone Sunday night and said, I'm concerned but not overly concerned. I thought, Shane, when you said that, I'm overly concerned. <laughs> But I'm not ultimately concerned. I'm very concerned, but I know, I know that the God whose word this is will call into account all that wickedness and that the faith of the saints will be vindicated in that day as having been set upon the right one and the only one. And that's what Israel is not recognizing. And Amos is there as the prophet of God proclaiming this same God who is going to bring the judgment. And this Amaziah, this, this one, this, this chief priest of the cultic religion that perverted the people has the boldness to stand in the face of God's own prophet and try to rebuke him and frighten him away and silence him. Well, he might have silenced. He might even, in the providence of God, had silenced Amos at some point. But they will never silence the word of God. I'm convinced that's why Amos said, I'm just a fig picker, man. Cut my head off. <laughs> There'll be 15 more here with the word of God to follow me. And even if you kill all of them, you still got to deal with the word of God. And that's what you've been hearing. And what you do with that determines what happens to you. And Amaziah found that out really quickly. And I'm sure that was fulfilled in his life as well. Stand with me tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this interlude in the book of Amos where we finally hear a voice from the corruption of the people. And it's just a reminder and maybe even indicative of that voice that might rise up when the, when the condemnation and the judgment of a righteous God comes upon a sinful world. I'm sure there will be many Amaziahs in our generation who would stand up and threaten those who proclaim the truth and the word of God. And they will try to frighten us away. They'll, they'll try to lure us back to a comfortable place. They'll, they'll do anything possible to, to keep themselves from being exposed as the darkness that they are. But Lord, I thank you that through your word and through Amos the prophet here and, and the fact that we're reading his prophecy these many generations later, is an assurance that the word of God stands forever. Israel did fall. Amaziah did fall. And so will every nation that God brings his judgment upon in this day as well. No matter how bold they're beginning. No matter how glorious and wonderful their foundations. The nation that denies you. The nation that moves away from you. Will certainly fall. Father, I pray that you would wake our nation up to realize that and, and, and beyond that to wake up the nations of the world. There is a, you are not a God over America alone. You are a God of the universe and every nation is subject to you. And so, Father, we look forward to the day that every knee will bow and every tongue confess of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth that Christ is Lord to the glory of you. Be with us throughout this week, Father. We pray that our minds and hearts would be drawn often to contemplate upon your truth. Lord, help us not only to see it in the light of our culture, but to bring it home into our own hearts. There is idolatry in every heart, as Calvin said, the, 
heart as an idol factory. And so, Father, help us to bring this truth to bear in our own lives as well, in our families and in our churches and in our communities. We ask for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.